Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Grid. Um, my name is Pip Adam. This is episode 119. Um, this is the 10th in our Beyond a Joke season um, where I'm talking to people about things that have made them laugh. Um, and uh, oh, I said that so seriously. <laughs> about things that made them laugh. Anyway, um, this uh, is a fantastic episode. Uh, they have all been fantastic episodes and the ones that are coming up are fantastic too. Um, in this episode, I get to talk to Marilyn Krasner, um, uh, an amazing, amazing, amazing creative artist, wonderful, amazing, amazing person. Um, and uh, Marilyn bought the most wonderful object. Um, Marilyn bought an episode of a web series called Hudson Valley Ballers. Um, it's an episode called Lovers. I think it might be the last in the web series. Um, there are links to it um, on the Substack. Uh, I highly recommend watching it. Um, it's it's hilarity. Yeah, it's, it's very funny. And um, it was a great way to um, talk about... Um, Marilyn's work, um, some of Marilyn's processes, and um, yeah, we got into all sorts of interesting discussions um, that I really, really loved. Um, so uh, I just also wanted to let you know about Marilyn's incredible podcast. Um, it's called um, Cyanotopia. Uh, Marilyn speaks with um, cyanotope artists. Um, cyanotype artist sorry I have trouble with that word and I just you'll hear me in the podcast realizing that the cyan in the name refers to the blue nature of these prints um anyway it's a fantastic podcast I highly recommend it there's a link to it um again on the Substack, and yeah I highly recommend it it's a fantastic fantastic podcast um like whether you are into cyanotype or cyanotype or um, you are simply interested in people's creative process. Just highly recommend it. Um, so I think I'm going to just let you listen to the podcast, except of course I'm just going to pop in to let you know that the um, Verb Festival is happening in Wellington in November um, and the program was released uh, uh Oh, it was released the night that Rajola's book was also released. Rajola um, is a uh, programmer and um, works with the amazing Claire Maybe and the team at Verb um, to produce this amazing festival. Um, there are lots of incredible things on, but one of the things that is on is we are going to run um, sort of a live, um, what would you call it, like... Um, almost like Frankenstein's monster of this podcast. Um, it is in the Verb After Hours and is called Beyond a Joke. Um, it is Thursday the 3rd of November, 8.30 till 10pm and it's happening here in Wellington. Um, this, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about this. Uh, basically, um, I get to work with some people who I absolutely love and um, just feel excited to be kind of um, in their presence so um, in that event we will be hearing from Amon Mara, James Nokisi, uh, Joe Randerson, Joanna Cho and um, Gabby Anderson. Um, incredible um, creative artists, um, comedians, writers, all sorts of people and um, yeah they are going to be presenting um, a short um, piece bit about something that's made them laugh recently. So um, yeah, come along. I'd love to see you there. Um, also, um, during that week, I get to talk to Lawrence Fernley, 
um, amazing writer, very good friend, um, about the possibilities of return. So we'll be talking about Lawrence's new novel, but also hopefully um, about, yeah, like uh, all her brilliant work, just amazing. And then finally, um, after I talk to Lawrence, I'll be racing over to um, facilitate a four-hour workshop, which is called Losing the Plot. I don't know why I keep mentioning the time. It seems like a long time, but um, we will have fun. Um, The idea with this workshop is that it is slightly different from other workshops. I'm very interested in deconstructing the idea of the workshop. And what we'll be doing is sort of um, trying to getting a group of people together to try and sort of uncover some of the biases and some of the beliefs we have around um, what plot looks like, um, the ways that we tell stories and, um, yeah, w- where these have come from perhaps. And then we're going to just have a look at challenge them, challenging them and seeing if there are slightly different ways that we can talk about telling. Now, it's really important to me that I let you know that this um, writing is not a prerequisite um, for this workshop. So um, if you uh, do not wish to write on that day, there are plenty of ways to capture um, those thoughts. So um, you may choose to record um, your thoughts. We will be doing exercises, but any of the exercises can be done. Um, uh, You might want to go for a walk and think about the exercises. You might want to speak them into your cell phone. You might want to draw pictures in response to them or you might want to write. So this is a workshop, um, yeah, that um, because I've usually taught writing workshops, people might think this is a writing workshop, and because we're talking about plot, which seems like a literary kind of thing, um, yeah, don't be put off by that if you are interested in any of those other ways of creating or thinking. Um, Yeah, gossip. I'm quite into gossip. So, you know, this might give you great new ideas about how to tell gossip. Anyway, Thank you very much for listening to that um, slight advertisement about things that are coming up. Um, I'll be sending out a few um, little newsletters about that as well. Um, Yeah, anyway, back to Marilyn Krasner. Holy mackerel. I feel so lucky to have talked to Marilyn. Um, This was an incredibly inspiring chat and I left sort of walking on air and um it's i've just carried it through the week i really enjoyed editing it and yeah thank you very much for listening cheers hi marilyn how are you i'm great thanks for asking me to do this Oh, I'm so looking forward um, to talking to you. I think you and I have had a lot of laughs over the years and yeah, I'm very excited. Um, so I always start these off by asking people if they would be willing to introduce themselves however they would like to introduce themselves. So could we start there? Could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Marilyn Love Krasner and I am just a general creative that's what I'm calling myself these days um like I think at the moment I'm just pursuing any creative project or activity that uh I enjoy that gives me you know pleasure so that's what that's pretty much what I'm doing right now and I'm a mom and a wife and so wife I don't even know what that I'm married to a woman. I guess that's what I wanted to say. <laughs> My wife with a wife. <laughs> um, man, that I love that. I love that description. I feel like, yeah, like that broadening out from any one thing is such an interesting way to look at 
creativity eh like mm. yeah I really love that I really love it um you have been kind enough um to bring a very hilarious sort of object to this conversation and I wonder if you would be willing to um tell me or maybe describe what you bought for us to talk about today yeah so I brought the last episode in a web series called Hudson Valley Ballers uh and it's a web series that was created by two Saturday Night Live writers like they were and they're both queer and I think they wrote on the show for like 20 plus years um so they're a bit older than me they're probably in their 50s and so it's a web series where they've you know they finished writing for Saturday Night Live and they've gone up to the Hudson Valley which is in upstate New York and I guess it's quite bougie and posh and they own a bed and brunch it's not a bed and breakfast but it's a bed and brunch because the tagline is we wake up late (laughs) and even if you just watch the intro like their little um you know intro song it says you know um we've been friends for 30 years writing comedy and now we run a bed and brunch in the Hudson Valley so it's just it's quite ridiculous like but this last episode is my favorite. Um, and there's it's only about seven minutes. I just watched it before we talked. And there's just so much randomness and a lot of references that I don't understand because I think they, they're they referencing lots of old movies or ways that um, romance and things like that were depicted probably in the 50s, 60s um, with, when they were growing up. So... Um, yeah so it's episode called lovers uh and there's lots of cameos yeah Yeah, it's it is one of the funniest things I've seen in ages and like I was just so grateful for it you know like um things are as they are at the moment and it really cheered me up and I was wondering um I think when you described it to me you described it as wacky and um, I love that word and I think that it might be my favorite kind of comedy and I just wondered if we could unpack the idea of um, yeah what elements do you think are in that and need to be in something for us to describe it as wacky rather than you know like observational humor or you know other types of humor yeah I think um glad you like wanted to talk about that because I don't think I've ever there's just these things comedy lives in my mind all the time and so it's really I'm actually quite excited to talk about it with you because I can't just sit there and talk about comedy with my kids or whatever you know but like (laughs) so it's this thing that it is a it is a deep through line in my whole life like um one of my most biggest pleasures you know uh and so wacky like wacky is always a part of that you know um I'm pretty wacky. And I think one of the defining things for wacky is randomness, Mm, but, mm, but it's still funny. So like in this, in this episode, there's this part at the end where she's had like, um, she tries to, you know, she breaks up with a woman and she's like, Oh, I'm going to try it with a guy, you know, sex, (laughs) the guy. (laughs) And then after they have sex in this really ridiculous way, he just makes this list of all these random things that that he's left um in her body or something 
<laughs> he's like one of them's a battery and she pulls out of like a double a battery and he's like oh no that's not it it's, i'm looking for a nine volt so it's just like <laughs> so it's just the randomness but you can relate to it in some weird way because life is really wacky because it's quite random because we're all these different beings walking around with our own thoughts and so somehow i you can tell with this one that they all have their own thoughts but they've come together in this one sketch um and been able to create this six minute little piece that is really joyous and funny so randomness I think cohesion, like, you know, working together where they, they're all very skilled and they just say yes to each other, you know, because that's a part of comedy is just going with it. Um, yeah, so that's, those are some elements that I think make yeah, it funny. I, I think um, that particular part made me think about something um, is like, the same material of the same situation can be dealt with in all sorts of different ways. And there's something about the way that Paul Rudd approaches the missing objects, you know, like, I mean, you know, like, I mean, you know, um, there's just something about the delivery of that line, which makes it feel like, um, and I don't know, like, I think that's something that really works in here is kind of the mismatch of what is happening and how it's being approached or something. And yeah, I don't know. Like I keep thinking about, you know, this is, you know, at the center of, well, not at the center, but one of the elements of this um, episode is a breakup. And like, I guess, like it's dealt with in such an interesting way. And I guess that in some ways we need to understand what's being subverted in a way, do you think? Or do you think that it's tethered to, to reality at all? sorry, this is such a roundabout question, but I'm wondering about the relationship between what we know about the real world and perhaps the serious world and how that's being subverted in the in the episode. Oh, yeah, that's interesting because when you say that, I think of the, what I was thinking about just before when I was watching it, when she does break up with her girlfriend or her girlfriend breaks up with her and then she asks her friend if she can try can I, do you mind if I hop on that and try that? Which she's, that is Paul Rudd's character who's, <laughs> who's, who's playing the local drifter, you know? Um, so I was like, wow, that's, they're, she's, they're totally objectifying Paul Rudd and he's just being seen as this um, tool of pleasure or so. So, yeah, I think um, probably, I don't know how intentional that was um, to, but I think women are often treated like, you know, a thing that guys can try out or whatever. So um, if we, if I get real deep into it that way, it's like, oh, shit, what, <laughs> what are we watching here? <laughs> or, you know, like that, um, that the girlfriend breaks up with her because she's got another partner that um, fulfills something that obviously their relationship didn't fulfill. So, yeah, I think they take probably the structure of the stories that we're used to and then just blow them way out you know just create these really pokey outy bits that are just so far from reality yeah but yeah because uh, oh sorry um yeah because that's what I was thinking a little bit um and sorry I'm jumping all over the place but I was thinking about the radicals and I was thinking about that's um your novel is a lot of things but it is very funny as well and I think that is similar in that way and that it says um, 
you know, this is the real life, you know, the grind of the real life. And what happens if we put one of those pokey outfits? What what happens? And almost also, I think the radicals, and maybe this as well, is a little bit of telling the truth when we don't normally tell the truth, if you know what I mean. Like, um, because I think Paul Brad's character is a um he does voiceovers for porn, which <laughs> you know, and like you know, like if we there's something very funny about stripping away the artifice of art and saying, Oh yeah, there are voiceovers or something. I don't know. But yeah, I don't know, like, um, how can I formulate a question around this? I'm just wondering with the radicals, like, I guess it's about voice, but I also wonder, did you, were you thinking I want to make certain parts of this funny or were you thinking to yourself, this is turning out funny, if you know what I mean? Um, well, I think I don't. I think I couldn't make something that wasn't funny, you know, like it has to be for me to keep going with it. I have to enjoy it. And, and I think other than this conversation, like I said before, comedy wouldn't come out of me unless I was making like writing probably because mm-hmm. um, I'm not a performer. So um, that's where I get that, that, uh, you know, like that, tick off my personal box like I you know funny has to be in my life so if I'm gonna do a writing project because you know I have a lot of serious stuff I want to say but there's no way that I could say it fully in a serious way you know so yeah I guess I I think I like the observation you made where it's like real life situations but I like pull stretch it out so that somebody could I'm not trying to teach anyone anything, you know, but I would like to make people laugh and have a enjoy the reading my work, you know, if they're going to make that choice. So, yeah. 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 And I was thinking, you know, this idea of performing, um, I think, you know, a lot of the people that are in um, um, this episode of Hudson Valley Ballers are people that come, this, this is what I think, um, who come from sort of an improvisation background. And I was thinking that, um, first of all, it's interesting when you film that without an audience. And I was thinking about the performance that you put on with Charlie and Helen. And if you have any thoughts about how that performance changed once it was in front of people, like were there unsuspected, were there places where you thought people would laugh and they didn't or were there places where people where you didn't think people would laugh and they did Hmm. yeah I think there were some places where in rehearsals we we would say oh laughter 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 you know but to be honest I don't really remember I do remember people laughing and I was grateful for that but other than like the um I don't remember a lot of details of when but I do remember being quite happy that that humor that we tried to project um you know about because we wrote this piece yeah about Palmerston North um which some people might be laughing right now even though I haven't said anything specific <laughs> but you know this is kind of place this is but um yeah so I think yeah if that if we hadn't had humor in that it would be hard for me to get up on stage and do anything you know and we were just reading um and that's pretty much 
as far as I like to go with prepared stuff. Like I did, I have an improv background, but mm-hmm. I always love, just love the classes and the practices. I didn't want to do the performance because it's kind of like writing a book, right? It's so fun to make up the world or, or make art that pro- I just am a process-based artist, I guess. And um, the actual presentation of it, publishing a book or, you know, is really it actually for me kind of like takes away some of the enjoyment because it takes up so much time and you know so I think I am just I mean I'm trying to understand that in myself like how can I be an artist without going to these finish line events you know um and that's just something that I'm you know I'm working on a little bit um because it always and maybe that's a Virgo thing where it's like oh how are you going to make money out of this you know one from Helen Lundorf I think um (laughs) but yeah (laughs) that observation but yeah so um I went off on a bit of a tangent but yeah like um I think comedy will and well this is also something I've been thinking about what's the difference about being funny like being making my daughter laugh and being funny at home and wacky and and then comedy like what is called comedy the official version of comedy so I'm not sure what I'm trying to understand am I be am I acting out comedy if I'm dancing with my daughter and she's laughing you know I don't know Mm. it it reminds me of those amazing um Maria Bamford has started doing um these they're kind of like rehearsals but she takes one person out for coffee and oh. um does the you know does the stand up for them and she also has this amazing show that she just does for her parents and there's something beautiful about that idea of process and and uh, you know like some of those you can see like the one with her parents you can see but the ones with just one other person that's never taken you know that is always between her and one person and I just I really love this idea of process based you know like the life that involves creativity and you know I have a friend who um you know like often says to me you know like when I'm doing the dishes it's as creative as when I'm taking a photograph or writing a book or doing this and there's something very attractive about that to me um Mm. and getting rid of these finish lines yeah um it seems to me that improvisation would be the most amazing way to collaborate I don't know why I just feel like there's something like that openness is is there a way to learn that openness or does it arrive or is there a way to do it where you kind of are like protective or yeah I don't know what what how did you find doing the improvisation stuff yeah I think um I think it's something where I think I have gone into situations where I'm like, well, I'm funny. You know, I'm naturally loose and open to laughter. And um, and then I've gone into an improvisation group because they all have their own feelings, you know. Um, so, and when I'm like gone in with that confidence and it's like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm not open today. I'm not saying yes. So, like, someone starts a, <clears throat> a game or whatever. And if you don't like where it's going, or I don't, let's say in my experience, I'm speaking generally because it's been quite a long time, but um, like 
then I'll get in my head. And if I'm I'm in my head, then I'm not listening to that other person. And it's all, you know, this is a like big life lessons, you know? So uh, in that, but in that moment, that scene's not going to go anywhere or it's going to go in a real kind of traditional track um, because I'm afraid of that person not thinking I'm funny or I'm afraid of failing or whatever. So it's just about being open. But if there's ever... Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard. I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say. I think I'm just saying um, that it's okay to dip out. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and observe, because sometimes that's just what needs to happen. It's just like, oh, I'm not ready to be um, to be active in this funny moment. I'm not in the right space. So it's probably better for the whole group to take myself out and just observe and watch, because it is really an environment where you're always learning all the time. And for me specifically, I can't remember anything that happened in that space afterwards. It's kind of like, uh, um, which I really like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, I don't know, Snapchat or whatever. One of those ones where the picture disappears, you know. Um, and I love that aspect of it. My son is in an improv. They have like Friday programs at his intermediate and he does improv uh, program. And he said that, and what month is it? Like September and school year started in February. So they've just started clicking, he said. And he said, it just feels so good because everyone's just kind of, you know, it's like a figure eight. Things are just moving around um, and zooming, you know, if you can imagine something zooming around the figure eight where it just keeps going. Um and it's taken them, you know, seven months to get to that place. Um, and uh, yeah, I think everyone should try improv. Like if you get those dumb opportunities at your job or whatever, just watch it, pay attention, do it. It's um, yeah, it's a great team building thing. Like it is, it's pretty cool. Yeah. It just sounds amazing. Like I also like it's one of the things I noticed. I don't know the extent to which um that episode that you gave us was improvised, but I just realized there's some possibility for not falling into a natural beginning, middle, and end, if you know what I mean. Like at the start, they talk about romance and I'm thinking, oh, meet cute, you know, like I'm I really love those beats that um certain genre um hit, you know, like um and I was just thinking, like, it feels like improv. I don't know why it in particular, and maybe it is just the fact that everybody's kind of, you know, like riffing off each other, but the shape of the miniseries, like you say, it's six minutes long. It packs a lot in. And I guess, you know, you think it would be hard to say this is the central idea for it and this is the through line of the story kind of I don't know I I just found it extremely rewarding in that way and I wonder if you think that maybe improvisation or jokes have the capacity to break that natural structure not natural but you know that sort of overwhelming structure that we have I think so yeah I think jokes are like uh I think jokes give people an invitation to relax, like whether that's like in a work setting or um, in a serious drama, you know, or like even in grief or, you know, those types of things. It's like jokes give us kind of 
permission to participate in a fun way. Um, if you know, like you go into a room and that you could, if you're somebody who like feels energy or whatever, you're like, oh, this place feels a bit, you know, boring or angry or whatever. If someone makes a joke and you, a joke and you see people laughing like in an authentic way, <laughs> um, then, and you know, it's a joke that feels good. It's not a joke made, you know, about a specific race or anything like that, you know, made, made about a person's characteristics. <laughs> um, it feels safe. Then you can learn a lot about a situation and bring yourself to it in a, in a more authentic way, I think, without, with all the keeping yourself safe, you know, I guess I'm talking about new environments when you're in a new environment, but yeah, I think wherever possible, I make a joke just to understand the people around me. And I'm not doing that in a conscious way. It's very subconscious. It's just how I move in the world is that it's part of my, it's a high for me to make people laugh. Um, and I, you know, don't do it inappropriate. Maybe I do. Maybe I do it inappropriate. I don't know. But um, other people can tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I so like that idea of, um, yeah, like I think, I, I think this is what I heard. I, you might have said something different, but I just recognized something in myself that um, I'm often testing the waters with a joke, you know, like I'm trying to, it's almost like my sonar radar to sort of read the room, you know, like um, if I say this, what happens, you know, like, and I sort of get a feeling for the temperature of the room and how safe I am in the room kind of as well. Totally, totally. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, you're like, for me, I think like, if there's some people in there that, um, I don't know, it might be like a queer friendly or a queer unfriendly space and I'm going to make some sort of like in, inside, you know, comment or whatever so that I can find those people that like poke their heads up, you know, or <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that. It's like, I think it's just this um, very subconscious thing that I do. Um, because I'm not a comedian. I don't live in a, you know, sketch comedy world as much as I would love to, you know, um, <laughs> but like, uh, so I try to bring that to um, parts of my life when it's, you know, when it feels right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some checkout person at the supermarket. I probably that really and make those annoying mom jokes to those people. But if I, you know, if we laugh together, that would be a nice little moment, you know, in the new world. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it because I I totally agree. Like there is um, uh, one. Of, I talked to Sarah Jane Barnett a couple of weeks ago, and she one of the things she said which really stuck with me was this idea that sometimes um, when things when there's a personal interaction and it's getting quite heated, um, it's nice to have a joke because it sort of brings you back to remind you that you're on the same team. Kind of like there's something very culturally bound perhaps about humor yeah yeah and that's I mean that was one of the things I didn't write this down but one of the things I was really interested in all the episodes is that they um what's the word I'm looking for I'll probably say this all wrong but I was thinking something else that's great about the structure is that it completely is not heteronormative you know like I think even when Natasha Leone arrives it, it's with her brother not with her boyfriend kind of thing and I just think the queerness of it makes for hilarity 
but also there's a very sense of relief if you know what I mean like it's like oh yeah this this space you know like I um I don't know like and and a lot of the the tropes that we might fall back of in a heteronormative kind of comedy are not available anymore you know like there's something really great happening there yeah and I I mean if I I think and I you know I don't know these people personally but like if they were writing on a major American network show like it's not prime time it's at 11 30 at night but still it's like a very hetero environment and the content that they have to put out I mean there's some quite queer stuff on SNL um and but I think in the past it's been more make fun of you know like so queer is but of the joke but um so especially when they were writing so maybe this is like an opportunity for them to just create whatever they wanted without any sort of um well I don't know bound less boundaries but to be able to tell these stories of you know these two friends um who started a bed and brunch and the weird the weirdness that they experience and I think they even have an episode where they're like go to a gay club or a queer club and they feel so old you know um so yeah I don't that's a very niche you know they're talking to their audience um with this with this um set of sketches so um and that's I do love that about it and I think at the time when I discovered it probably around the time it was released that my son was four years old and I was probably like what am I like what what am I if I am a mom now and you know um just doing the mom life like (laughs) I'm not (laughs) how does that affect my queerness and yeah so I I think one of the reasons I do love it is what you're saying it's just so overtly queer and like the the stereotypes and stuff that they explore like especially about the breakup the lesbian breakup you know it's hilarious I'm not gonna say <laughs> but like the boundary the weird blurred boundaries of their relationship is so, <laughs> so perfect it just takes the real life stuff and just again it just stretches it out and yeah so and I like think. it is it, there is something about a joke as well eh? like it is kind of often a gift back to um people you know like I mean I guess sometimes comedy it's a bad rap as far as well not a bit there's just some fucking terrible comedy out there I think that's what it comes down to Um, but you know like something like this feels like a gift back you know like it's kind of like thank you for holding me in the communities and here's something you know that you can have yeah it's wild one of the things um, that I think is interesting about it as well is the fact that um, because it's a web series, um, it means that um, perhaps, although it does feel like the budget would have been quite high because it, it, there's often, you know, like it's not a multi-camera shot, but there are often, you know, like there's there's a beautiful setting for it. Although I suppose it is always the same setting. But I'm just interested in this idea of um, the way we have access to broadcast, which is slightly um, less controlled by gatekeepers and less controlled by, um, yeah, like by television networks or, you know, like 
SNL always looks very um, communal, but you know there there are people who are at the top of that and people who are the writers. And I just wonder if you've got any thoughts about um, this existing as a web series. I guess I think it's um, goes back to that thing where you're talking about it's like a gift because you get whole episodes. You know, where if you tried to watch SNL or some other show on television or you know cable (laughs) (laughs) what is it now streaming services and you don't have a subscription or whatever then um you know you could just watch little snippets so you know um the fact that you can watch this whole series uh and that it it gives so you know so much in such a short time I think is really um uh yeah, it's a gift. It's like um, if someone is lucky enough to find it and then they're going to laugh at it, I think it's like, um, well, thank you. Thank you for making this available for us, you know, <laughs> in all your weirdness. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a gift in my life. So because it's just so it's just so funny. Um, and I think I do go back to it quite a lot. Uh, and yeah, and I think I mean, it's funny, I was thinking, why do I like it so much? And I think there's part of me, like I said before, is that I did want to, like I did sketch comedy and stuff. I'd love to write that, you know, and I've never done that. And so part of me is just like, I want to be, even though they're performers and I don't necessarily want to perform in front of the camera, like they're doing something that I want to be a part of. So there's like, and maybe it's that queerness thing that makes me feel connected to them. So I think that's a big part of what I like about it is like Paula Pell specifically. I mean, God, if I, you know, if I could hang out with her, I think that would be the best thing in my whole <laughs> life. Like just, and just sit there and laugh, like nothing else. Just that's my dream is like, just to connect with people to sit and just, and laugh, 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 like pee your pants, laugh. So mm. that's another thing with improv. If you do ever try it, you might pee your pants. So. <laughs> laughing so hard it is so some thought you know because like we it's just permission to just be so silly um and people say the dumbest things and you you know when you get into a situation where you're it's joke on joke and it's just like it gets funnier and funny but if anyone walked in and tried to understand what you were talking about there's no way so it's those situations where it's like this I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a therapy. Like afterwards, you've been laughing like that. You just feel like lighter and happier. And yeah, it's so I think that's that's my um, idea of just a really good night. <laughs> and, and it's so interesting. I eh? like what, what I'm hearing, which is, I think, like is the creative act and the important act and the often, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like it's often not, um recognized as quite as important as it is as being the viewer being the audience being the listener you know because I just think um having seen some improv you know like the listening seems to be almost as important as the talking you know and oh yeah and I think like that's what's interesting about comedy is that the audience is never quietly sitting in the dark no, yeah, the audience, and that's something I've been hearing lately is, like, because um, I've been listening to this podcast, um, you know, if you can't tell by now that I'm, like, obsessed with Saturday Night Live, um, with, even with all its faults, you know, there's lots of faults, but um, 
Dana Carvey and David Spade have a new podcast called Fly on the Wall, where they're actually interviewing all these Saturday Night Live people and SNL adjacent people. And they talk about that a lot, even when they talk about their own stand up. It's like David Spade, you know, who I'm not the biggest fan of, but, you know, he's got a long, <laughs> he's kind of one of those angry white man comedians where I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm sure you make funny jokes sometimes, but um, uh, he talks about how at the beginning of the pandemic he would do, or whatever, in the middle of it, he would do a uh, stand-up gig and he couldn't see out into the audience and they were all wearing like N95 masks, so he couldn't really hear them. And so that completely affected the way that he was, that he felt about how the situation was going. And so I think it is like an energy thing. It's like, I'm up here, you know, being a funny person um, and I need you guys to continue to show me, or I need to hear that it's worthwhile me, me doing this, Mm -hmm. you know, in front of you. so if we're talking about traditional, like, yeah, performance, audience reaction, I think that's a completely cohesive act. Um, you know, like, I think I have heard sometimes, like, in the past um, acts talking about when I go to New Zealand or whatever, the crowds are so kind of, like, quiet or, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that will impact the performer's feeling about how the show went is the response. Um, and I think with improv if you're not listening to the person that you're partnering with then that's going to completely impact the performance because um there's no back and forth there's no give and take you know yes and yes and it's basically a no um and that no just stops all the scenes so yeah i think um it's just a big saying yes in like metaphorically in all those different types of ways, laughing at someone's joke, even if you're kind of in a bad mood, you know, if it's a funny joke and, you know, you're in a situation, I think it's really kind to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like someone's heard- showing you something about themselves, you know, trying to connect. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I, it was interesting. I was listening to an interview with James Acaster recently. I think it was with Mark, uh, Mark Maron. And um, he was talking about he, he had a show where there was some um, quite personal revealing stuff that was hard. You know, every night it was hard. And um, he would tell a joke early on to see how the audience reacted to see if he was going to then tell that joke later on. And I was mm-hmm. thinking, like, I think um, – yeah, like you say, like um, when we when we go to these things, I think how we are, you know like the audience is there and part of it, which I think is really interesting. Um, I also love Saturday Night Live. Like it's one of my. Um, I just I am very excited about some of the people that are on at the mm. moment. Um, and I, the way that um, I I was particularly thinking of Sarah. I can't remember her last name, but yeah, just um, there seems to be more space for a little bit of wackiness on there at the moment, oh, yeah. which is quite exciting. Sherman, maybe. Yeah, Sarah. Hey. Oh, I yeah. love her so much. Yeah, uh, and Bo and Yang, like he's that. Uh, if anyone saw that iceberg thing he did, oh my god, the iceberg that sank the Titanic. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you were in my ocean. <laughs> 
Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> oh my god. And he's fantastic yeah. on Fire Island. And yeah, everything. Um, yeah. Uh, I just yeah, everything he touches is just magnificent. Um, I'm yeah. looking behind you. You have a um cenotype on the wall. Yeah. I am probably yeah. going to mispronounce that word. And like everything you are saying, I just looking at that and thinking this is a physical manifestation of that. You know, this idea of improvising. You know, this idea of um some parts of um, a situation that you can't control. Some parts yeah. you can control. This idea of give and take all of that seems to come together in the cenotype. And I wonder, mm. I don't know, like I would be interested in you describing it as an art form for starters. Like mm. um, also then I guess there's the extension into your podcast as well, which I fucking love, you know, like, mm. but I wonder if you could start just by how would you introduce it to someone who's never seen it or is about to do it or yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, what I'm learning about is that people are, you know, visually you see a cyanotype and it's always blue, like unless somebody's done some toning or something afterwards, it always comes out this blue color. Mm. Um, and that's like, I'm not a chemist or a scientist. So basically the chemical compounds um, that create cyanotype, um, that it will always come out blue. Um and so that's the one, that's a question I think people always want to ask, but they're afraid to ask. So, so it's this, um, it's one of the earliest photographic processes. Um, and an astronomer in England invented it in the 1840s. And it's basically a way to copy documents. Uh, and then a woman named Anna Atkins, uh, who her, her dad's friend was the guy who invented it. Um, he, she took plants and she started putting plants on top of a piece of paper that was coated with the chemicals. And then the UV light shines, you know, onto the paper. It's, um, and then the UV rays, you know, go through. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to say the word penetrate, but they penetrate <laughs> through the plant matter and um if the plant you know is like porous enough you know or thin enough the uv light will penetrate through the plant um and give you this beautiful x-ray you know slash photograph slash you know just white outline so cyanotype the part the chemical i'm sorry the uh <laughs> Part of the paper that is not covered up will always be blue. And then anything that has been covered up, um, it depends on how much UV can actually mm, penetrate mm. through that matter. So it is, um, it's a chemical reaction between the sun or um, synthetic UV light and these two iron salt-based chemicals. Um, and I'm just obsessed with it. Like, and and it's interesting that you connected the improv with the with cyanotype because I hadn't really, but I guess maybe I am connect. Yeah, I'm attracted to these art forms that I don't that I can give up a bit of control, and it just whatever happens happens, um, and then that it, that is it is what it is. So with cyanotype, once that paper is. Um, exposed to uv light it starts exposing so it starts turning blue let's say mm. um 
So if I'm doing it in my backyard, I have to put the plant matter, whatever it is down quite quickly. And then I put a piece of perspex over it and then it just, the composition can totally change. So, so I guess I am doing a bit of improv with the elements that I, that I have chosen to use. Um, and if you add water or turmeric or other things to the composition, then you have no idea what you're going to get out of it. So I purposely don't do it in a controlled way. Like if I had a synthetic UV light, I can make these beautiful, perfect compositions. Um, but that's not, that's not my jam at all. So I love, I love a messy, you know, um, I love messy work. Like my brother is a musician and his stuff that's the most raw, like bedroom or recorded in a bathroom or whatever. That's my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. And if he sends me his produced stuff, I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But I like it when I can hear the tap dripping or whatever. So <laughs> I think that's just that's just what I like, you know, you know, live Nirvana as opposed to studio Nirvana. Yeah. Like I feel I I've just I like that idea of live Nirvana <laughs> as in, <laughs> in a Buddhist sense. Um, <laughs> um I I'm really interested. First of all, I've just realized that it's cyan o and cyan is blue isn't it yes yeah so I'm so slow um and the second thing I was sort of thinking is um I'm interested in this aesthetic as well because I think that's my mess mess is my aesthetic as well you know like I um while while I also can appreciate crisp clear you know that kind of thing but um mess I'm interested in and I just I just wonder have you ever thought why what it is that appeals to you about or that kind of thing mm-hmm. than the more produced sort of stuff? Oh well that, yeah. that like so many different <laughs> I could say well if you've ever been in my like in my house it's all mess as well. But <laughs> like I don't know. I think it's oh, I don't know. Um you know, that could go in so many different directions. That could be like, well, like, I don't feel worthy of a tidy thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't feel worthy of getting all these people involved and like helping me make this perfect thing or spending mm-hmm. the money of doing that, you know what I mean? Or mm-hmm. taking that time away from my family where I mm-hmm. develop this art practice where everything is perfect. Um, so I think probably just being a mom artist, it's just like, I just, get it done it is it's just about the process and that's as far as it gonna that's gonna go right now maybe when the kids are out of the house I can do more perfect stuff that takes a lot more time but um I don't know my I think in my life has always just been a bit like haphazard like I'm not very well I'm saying this in like as if it's a negative I'm kind of judging at the same time but I think the decisions I've made in my life and stuff this is just how I do things like how you do one thing is how you do everything so like um do it for the feeling of it you know the enjoyment of it and sometimes when that when that like moving to New Zealand I can't tell you what my decision making process was you know there was some you know um but like it's just kind of decide something and go forward with it or go forward and then make some decisions along the way. So that's, um, that is how I write a book. Like I don't plan it very much. Um, I just go with the feeling of the characters and 
um, you know, and how I think they would, the plot would go based on what their personalities are. And the same with the cyanotype, like what's, what's in season right now? Um, go for a walk and pick that. Um, or what artist do I want to emulate to practice some, try to practice their, their way of doing things. So I don't know if that answers the question, but I'm so, I'm so sad you can't see me because I am just smiling (laughs) from ear to ear. I just, I fucking like, I mean, the thing is that I really, I don't know how to put this, but like, I think that joy and process comes through your work and just, you know, like I just, I am so grateful that there that you are willing sometimes to share your work and you know in all sorts of different ways you know like that that sort of afternoon we had making um making cyanotypes was just like one of my favorite afternoons and like I just I just think and not that that's what you're doing it for but I do think that um I don't know it just leaves it so much more open and I don't know if those openness is what allows me to enjoy it so much because you know there's there's a bit of opening left if you know what I mean like it's not so tight that it's like you know like a lecture (laughs) saying um one of the interesting things about the podcast like the podcast is so fucking good Marilyn I just fucking love it um but what I was really interested in is like the different approaches to what seems to me, I'm like, oh yeah, this technology is relatively strict in what it allows you to do and what the outcomes are. Yet mm-hmm. the different philosophies that come, the different um, practices that come, the different outcomes that have are got are just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I I wanted to find people all around the world you know I'm only only speak English but like um who who make different cyanotype like who use it in different ways um and we but then at the same time in the conversations I go back to the same type thing I like I like to talk about why and what they make and then understand their process with the tools so in it and that for me it's fun to hear that because it's like okay that's your own that's like your own thing but then when we, in terms of why and what they make and then when we talk about the tools it's like oh wow like we're all doing we have to do the same thing mm-hmm. um we have to mix the chemicals we have to put them on something before we can expose them and we then we have to expose them so it's kind of like uh that universal like trying I think it's just a form of connection really is that's what I wanted to that's what I why I wanted to start the podcast is that I wanted to feel connected to these other artists and hopefully give other people out there connection to artists that are making really cool stuff the artists that they might have seen on Instagram or whatever to hear about Mm -hmm. their process um like and um I talked to a guy in Wellington actually um Jonathan Kay, who's at Massey, and his process is so extreme. And um, I'm still <laughs> editing that episode. Apologies, but um, uh, and yeah, so I'm just really excited. So there's probably about eight more episodes to come. Um, and I've just hit a, a bit of a wall with editing, which is I think part of a creative thing for me, where I've done all the this kind of research and interview work, 
and I've hit a wall with the practical editing part. So I'm mm-hmm. exploring that as a creative, that's actually a creative issue that I'm having um, rather than being a flake or putting all these um, other labels on it. So I think um, my podcast is a creative act um, and there's a real practical element that I'm having a hard time pushing through, which mm-hmm. I think is part of what I was talking about earlier is presenting the project. Mm, mm. So um yeah, so I'm just um that's just that's just me being human. <laughs> I totally relate. I totally relate. And um I one of the things I did want to say cuz um it, it, speaking of gifts, um I do not do cyanotype um regularly, but there is so much to learn in the conversations for any kind of creative output, if you know what I mean. Like that's the thing that I think again is just so incredible is that it's a very specific podcast. Yet um like I say, like I I yeah, I had to stop the car the other day to jot down someone's see because I thought it applied to, you know, writing so much. Right. And um I don't know, like that I, I, I don't know they're just such amazing conversations like yeah they're just amazing thank you yeah that's what I was hoping that I mean it is very niche like because people are like oh there's a podcast about anything everything why not you know do it but like um and that's what I was hoping is that the artists would be speaking in this way that people who are working in completely different areas could relate to um yeah so that's awesome. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, yeah, I really, really love it. Um, I guess um that sort of brings us around full circle to mm-hmm. um you know the episode and um this idea of um I guess like we've talked about communities, we've talked about improvisation, we've talked about collaboration, all those sorts of things, and um. Yeah, one one really specific question. Sorry, this isn't a good segue in any way. But I was really interested, and I don't want to finish without asking you, um, is just about the physical humor that happens in that episode. Like, there is something so interesting. Like, obviously, there's the hilarious sex scene um, with Paul Rudd. Um, but there's something even about the positioning of bodies in space, like, when just the normal conversations are going and facial expression and stuff like that. I don't know. Like, um, I guess I'm also interested, like I should have asked this right at the start, but just interested in the types of humor that you've liked and maybe the development of, you know, your, what you like. And I, I just love slapstick and I love physical humor. And I was just wondering if you've got any thoughts on either of those things. Oh, I probably could go on for like a half an hour, but like, um so like when I was four no um (laughs) like I think um I like relatable humor you know like if I relate to it then but that could be anything you know so so I grew up watching a lot of tv and I've been watching Saturday Night Live my whole life you know since I could stay up till 11 30 which is when it was on in the states or in California um and I remember when John Belushi died I woke my mom up to tell her I don't know how I knew this before her. I must have been watching the news or something. But like, um, I because that was they were such a big part of my life. Like she loved John Belushi, and I think, um, and uh, and it was just a lot of ma- male comedians, right? Like mm-hmm. white dudes. Um, and when I was growing up in the seventies and eighties, and so my evolution is like Saturday Night Live 
Three's Company. Like I, I loved um, I Jack love Tipper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I was coming out, someone, one older guy, gay guy, was like, "Who are some of your like gay, you know, icons or whatever?" I was like, "Jack Tripper," you know. <laughs> and um, uh, did you know his son, the actor's son, is married to J- Melanie Linsky? Uh, what when I, that is such a I nice remember. thing. I know. <laughs> it's like all of New Zealand is connected to um in his name. John Ritter. John Ritter. Um yeah. And so John Ritter, I loved him. And then Robin Williams and Mork and Mindy. Like that's Robin Williams is huge, huge in my life. And like more his calm like stand-up than his film stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so like he had a, a Met show in the 80s where you could tell he's totally whacked out on cocaine or <laughs> you know, he had been for three days before, I don't know, but he is, he is insane. So, um, like that quickness, but you can get these relatable bits in it and you're laughing at something you said three minutes before, because it's taken you that long to (laughs) understand what he just said, what he said that long ago, because his mind is going so fast. Um, And then uh, I was a huge Chris Farley fan, like Mm -hmm. from Saturday Night Live. He's that really big guy. Um, And I don't know. I just loved him. I felt Mm -hmm. so connected to him um, because he was so open and vulnerable. And like, and I think that might have been like a queer thing or a fat thing. It's just like, look at me. I'm myself. I'm funny. You know, they might be thinking they're making fun of me, but they're not like I'm owning Mm -hmm. it. Um, and, uh, so from then, I think that's when I was in high school. So I went to university and started getting angry and more feminist and stuff. Cause, um, that I was, what I was learning. So I was like anti Howard Stern, but my family liked Howard Stern. So we get in family fights about that. <laughs> now, now I'm just like, Oh, whatever. He's just <laughs> put him in that pile of angry white guy comedians. Um, uh, and now I just love that, like on Netflix specifically, I know I jumped way forward, but I love on Netflix how they're really like, in in a weird way, David Letterman is promoting all of these young mm-hmm. um, comedians, you know, like Asian comedians, you know, queer comedians, trans comedians. Like, like I love that he's using his, status to show people who don't necessarily get that main stage treatment mm-hmm. um and New Zealand comedy is quite fun and surprising you know if yeah. it's not angry dude comedy like Angela Dravid like she's <gasps> and Alice Sneddon even though I don't know if she calls herself a comic um yeah Rose Matfeo all those like such good good comedians I think there's a woman named Irene Pink is there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she her joke about how like she's not a big woman by any means but like she just said something like to a doctor like I think I'm a heroin addict and the doctor's like uh, I don't think so because of the size of her body <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that joke that joke is just embedded as one of the jokes in my brain that I that I just pick out, like if I'm driving, I just pick a joke out for that moment and <laughs> laugh at it. Um, but yeah, so when I say comedy, like is a through line in my life, it is like part of the fabric of my being. Mm-hmm. So um, so 
I'm really glad you asked that last question. Um, if I could tell you, take you on a <laughs> yellow brick road, <laughs> a history of my comedy. You are reminding me of Three's Company, and like, um, I I think I misunderstood that um, when I watched it. But it's an awful they, show. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So John Renner lives with two women, and yes. for in order to make that okay they tell the landlord that he's gay yes. but he isn't gay that's right eh? or is he gay yeah, he's always remember. like horny he's always trying to get with them and they're that's wearing right. you know basically their shorts are like thongs you know yeah. this is uh i don't even remember their names unfortunately i remember i don't remember the women's name but i, I remember, remember his name so what does that I, say i do remember that one of the women at one stage was called christmas snow like her name was chris snow and it turned out that she was called christmas snow i think i think that's the program and like what's interesting about that is that it's based on i think it's called man about the house which is um a british show and the guy that was in that i had such a big crush on as a child and like it's mm. just it's just really yeah anyway sorry I'm I'm going but I was thinking no. um thank you so much for that yellow brick road because <laughs> I do feel like that is a really interesting kind of roadmap of um and I guess this is why I love Saturday Night Live so much is that mm. it really does seem to be one of the places that responds obviously there's the political jokes but there's something mm -hmm. very interesting about how it reflects um what's happening in the world I don't know like um yeah when I look back at some of those I, I often think of that Adam Sandler um the um song about Hanukkah you know oh, how yeah. there's never been a song about Hanukkah and yeah like yeah. um you're listing off all those amazing Jewish people um like the Fonz um yeah oh, God, yeah <laughs> it's just yeah. so good hey so um, great we yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, we are getting towards the end of the podcast, and yeah. I realize I I keep doing this. Um, I forget to write this question, and I'm going to put it in the template now. But I would be interested to know, um, like, what do you think? Like, what I I'm trying to work out a way to ask it properly as well. Um, which is one of the reasons I don't have it written down is like I'm just interested in this idea about what sustains us as creative people. Like, what mm. what sort of you know how we can um make that more available to people I don't know just in our personal lives I'm just wondering um you know like how do we keep the faith you know mm. I guess I'm especially interested with you you know like this idea of keeping the faith as far as process goes when um you know sometimes the thing that keeps me going is I finished it you know like or it's out there or whatever so yeah I don't know have you got any thoughts on that uh, well I mean what yeah what we didn't talk about was like the the huge grief that I've experienced in the last like 18 months that I've had like my mom and three other people that I love very much pass away and like and so what that has given me um is just this kind of real you know you know I want people to understand if they are going towards a creative practice or like why am I doing this you know I don't want them to have to go through grief and trauma <laughs> to get to where I am not that I'm saying I'm perfect but what I am <laughs> understanding at the moment is that uh there's just so much bull bullshit and noise and like mm. 
um, being happy and pleasure and you know all the cliches are true life is short um and so why not i think there's like a meme on insta chat insta talk and all those where it's just like why am i doing this for pleasure you know my own pleasure this is voiceover <laughs> this woman saying this that's it it's like why would you do creative work it's just like just because that's why am I, i'm doing it it's just because and it's like there's no actually no other reason because no one's unless I were to work really hard to get paid, no one's going to pay me to mm-hmm. enjoy my creativity. So um, so that's what I was talking about at the beginning. There are finish lines where I could get a paycheck, but it's like, you know, every day, why should I do this practice? Because I actually enjoy it. I love it. Um, it, it makes me happy or at least it keeps me from being completely unhappy which is a good practice it's like fitness or eating well or whatever Mm -hmm. um it is it is a it is a well-being practice um and so yeah why should you keep doing it just because and because there are lots of people that would also receive joy from the work that you do so it is a community it's completely a community service um and that's yeah it's like a social it's a own personal social enterprise um and I just say don't yeah don't stop even if people tell you like even if people are like oh you're a writer have I read anything that you've done uh, oh are you showing in any galleries I don't even know what that means but like or you know so you must make a lot of money from your art it's like no like uh, yeah it kind of exists out of the capitalist system that we've all been brainwashed to participate in, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, I, I think like, I don't know, like that's hitting hard for me today. Different things hit differently on different days, but you know, just the <laughs> idea that, um, yeah, like um, I, I lose, I, I don't know, not necessarily because I'm sure there are people who are making a lot of money that are doing what they love, but I don't know. I hope the, so. the, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Um, but I just feel like the freedom of unshackling what I do from money is really helpful and really problematic because, you know, I'm in a position where I can do that, but yeah. I don't know, like I really feel like, I get sad when I think about trying to write a book that'll sell. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. There is no shame in like anybody having a day job and trying to do their creative work. It's like really tough, but like, you know, that's the society that we live in. It's just mm-hmm. like, and especially for people whose voices that we don't hear, like you're right. Like we're, you know, to white presenting, you know, female presenting people that like, uh, we have this platform that, you know, or me personally, like I, I can do whatever I want as this person in society. Um, and I have that confidence where it'd be nice if everybody felt like that and we could hear all these different voices. And that's why I think I like those comedians on Netflix right now, like Shang Wang, there's a guy, his stuff is really funny. And it's just like, because I haven't heard that perspective, even if it's talking about underwear, it's like, you know, I just want people to feel more powerful um, Mm -hmm. with their voices and their creative voices. Yeah. So 
I totally agree. That special mm. was funny. Like I watched it on Friday night and um like Which one? the um Shan Wang and like oh, yeah. um, my um <laughs> my child came out to see yeah. what was wrong I was laughing so much like I have the stuff about printing at work just I don't oh my god I just haven't laughed that much so much it's so good yeah. oh my gosh yeah. yeah yeah bring on the multiple voices yeah totally. I, yeah it's so good thank you so much Marilyn I really appreciate your time and all your work and yeah all your amazingness thank you so much thank you. I appreciate you and all your lovely you know, attention. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 